0: My Talkers, it's Tuesday, August 24th, which means we are two days away, count them, two days away from hanging out down at the State Fair where you can see Lori and Julia. Today we have a very, very special birthday for you. Go, 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 go,
1: go, 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 Charlie. go, it's Julia. We're going to party, like.
2: It's your birthday, go not sit at Bacardi like it's your birthday, birthday. playing in you the, the club. Ah. Oh. oh, Julia. Happy birthday. And Julia shares a and birthday well, with her son.
1: Thing one, happy birthday. That's right. You giving birth you on are... your
2: birthday.
1: Uh, what are the odds of that? Not, <laughs> you know, a month early. Right. No less. Right. What Julia. My, my sweet brother, right? You're getting up in the years.
2: Um, I don't know what to do. I in lost the card? it already.
1: Oh, for God's sake! Barb, sakes. thanks for the card. Everybody, thanks for the nice wishes on Facebook, on Insta, the personal notes. Everybody. Um, oh,
2: the station retweeted a very cute photo of you. Are you like five it, with it's your grandpa, with grandpa Duke? Duke? Yeah, but Are I was like- looking at that. I'm looking for
1: Casey in the um in the face. Do you see it? And I oh, yeah. had nice big teeth. You know, no braces. <laughs> they hadn't moved together yet. I didn't have braces, but you know, remember when your teeth first come in and you just... Oh, they're huge. They're huge, like Bugs Bunny teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's out that's there. A
2: very cute picture.
1: Of me with Grandpa Duke?
2: Yes, it's just Aww. a really sweet little picture. Yeah, lots of people on Facebook. Oh, and, thanks everyone. Woo! And uh, Twitter. Uh, and now you share your birth date with Charlie Watts' death date. Well, I, I was <laughs> waiting... Lori, I literally, when I
1: was coming in and I heard it on the Dirt Alert when I was driving in Uh on Clean and Bradley, and I'm like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. oh, no, and Charlie Watts was the drummer for the Rolling Stone who passed away today, so um, I just, I knew, I just was like, oh, dear.
2: Oh, Lori's good, and I already, Julia, I had the, I don't know, I don't know why everything feels like it's falling apart in the world because ah, maybe know. it is. Because maybe it is.
1: Maybe it is, but we digress. Yeah,
2: so I, okay, so, you know, everybody gets woken up by the, you know, monsoon. Well, the thunderstorm and, at 4 a.m., I felt fine, like. fine, you know, let yeah. it rain, let it but rain. We I hope it. it's raining up north. Same. You know, and um, so I was, like, getting my concert tickets for the fair mm-hmm. in order. <laughs> and,
1: and grand. Grant. <laughs> If you know, something you don't know about Lori is that she has this filing system back from 1968 (laughs) when she was in third grade. I'm just kidding her. (laughs) But I mean, she has an amazing filing system that she can find anything. And so what was happening in your filing system? Well,
2: I, I literally has
1: file folders for every day of month. You, and you then have, there's
2: the date. You have one through 31, and then you have a file for each month of the year. He literally it, has this system. Yeah. Hey. It, well, it works for well, me. Yeah. But, well, but well I, it works for you. I, I outplan myself. So I get your birthday <laughs> present together. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so I'm like, okay, there, that's done. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my concert tickets because I. For whatever reason, am the ticket buyer for groups of friends. And, you are, you and are I the get state the
1: state fair ticket, ticket buyer. I, oh, for all tickets. And for all, well, we went through the Rolling Stone ticket purchase
2: yes. on the air. Yeah, about a, two months ago. So I'm like, I got to get these three different dates because I've got there's three, you know, there's like mm-hmm. six people going each date, and I'm like looking for my Tim McGraw tickets. And I can't find it. Oh, dear. I am panicking at the disco. Right. I'm going Those through every file. Uh-huh. Every file. I'm like, I just had them out the other day because uh, that concert, like many other concerts, I had people whose tickets I bought for them who haven't paid me that bailed on me. So fun. It's so <laughs> much
1: fun. So much fun. See, if you had Venmo, Lori, it's a kind of a slick way. But yeah, you not I don't, don't want to have Venmo. I know, don't, I don't I I need Venmo. I, I want my
2: friends to write me a check or give me cash. Okay? I know. I'm going to be old school. I, yeah, you are. I want greenbacks. <laughs> yeah. I want the coin. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I'm like, holy crap, I just had these tickets out because I had sold, you know I, know, I got some people to go. And so I'm like looking for them. I go through go through my tickler file, look through everything. I'm getting so upset that I have to keep running to the bathroom because now my stomach is roiling Absolutely, and boiling. It's and fried. I don't even know anything about Charlie Watts. Right. I have no TV on. I'm just like. It's too early. We didn't know yet. Well, no, this was like at 10, so it could have been, you know, and I think that's when the news broke about 9.45. Okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to email the State Fair and see if they can find my tickets that I bought in March of 2020. Are you kidding me? You're thinking that they're going to have them? Well, they could reissue them. Like, there's a way of knowing the seat, but I think this is a pain, you know. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. Then I thought, I wonder if they're in my tickler for today that's already in my little bag. Sure enough, that's where
1: they were. And that's ah. unbelievable. I mean, she's I outsmarted so... myself. You yeah. did outsmart yourself. Yeah. And I I went, I I need a jacket that keeps the water out. Do you remember when we went to the share concert at Excel? One? The oh. one at Excel, the most recent one, yeah, at yeah, Excel, yeah. where I might have had a couple of terminators. Right. Oh, I had did a Did you leave your raincoat there? No, I brought this jacket that I thought was waterproof and it poured that night and it was cold hmm and I I took a I'd parked down by lower town and so on the way leaving the concert I stopped at the St. Paul Grill mm-hmm. because I was so cold and my jacket just soaked uh, soaked all the way through and there was an Indian wedding going on and I had to go meet the parents oh fun oh sure why not yeah why not here's here's <laughs> this fun lady with a loud mouth soaking wet that <laughs> wants to talk to you about your beautiful you know, wedding. Right. I mean, they were just like, whatever. But actually, it was very funny. We did have a very funny conversation. But so, the same jacket, and I put it away, and I think, okay. And it's so such a cute damn jacket. So today, I decide I need exercise, and I don't want to go to the club. So mm-hmm. I just put on some earbuds and started walking. In the, In the rain. rain. Oh, In this jacket that so I forget is so not waterproof. <laughs> okay. And I was too far on my loop to circle back. I was soaked from head to toe happy the, birthday to I you i got a birthday shower that's right <laughs> <laughs> i'm clean inside and out yeah. i mean seriously and the sun
2: is out for I you see now i see that so whatever I see your that. little birthday plan oh, might yeah. be your it's big huge, birthday plan huge huge
1: plans yeah huge i know
2: it's plans. never easy on a tuesday night it's kind of like everyone that's goes right. uh, but yeah. we're having a birthday thing at the Where fair, the fair? we're broadcasting at the fair on this saturday. saturday
1: from one to three if people can't make it out during our regular time or don't want to come maybe we when it's raining. raining, I know it. Raining. We're just pretending it's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, it doesn't often rain on the first day. And we've had this hot, beautiful summer. We've had this
1: beautiful summer. And suddenly it's kind of like... <laughs> and the rain, rain is like, like hey, last, last forget about us. Yesterday,
2: <laughs> that's a perfect fair weather it for was me. Yeah. That, It was beautiful. That really warm like that. And
1: we were so jealous of everyone at the concert at Target Field last night. Oh, were we That ever. looked like a blast.
2: blast.
0: And the beer vendors love the warm too because people Absolutely. drink more beer. <laughs> but Absolutely.
2: Since we don't have a lot. I remember a day here and there where the first day is raining and you're just like, damn it. But we had one year where it was like hundred degrees every day and no one came. Remember the record heat wave? Yes. We, we were in our old location. We chapped our faces yes. with our little um, it was, misters.
1: It was so hot. We so we've we, had all different weather we, we cycles. We have, we have. It's just part of the gig. Yeah. And it doesn't make it any less fun if it's kind of drizzly. It's still
2: it, as long fun. as you have a waterproof or a Well ring. I'm
1: getting a new jacket. We got the we got the ponchos, ponchos for sale. For three dollars. And they're white with a great pink logo.
2: Yeah, but they got a hood and they... They work. They work. They will keep They totally work. I know. It. <laughs> All right, listen, when we come back, it's our story we can't get enough of. We'll be right back. Listen,
1: before we talk about Charlie and his amazing life, um, at some point today during our show, um, we're giving away a pair of tickets to James Taylor's concert, James Taylor and his all-star band at Excel Energy Center on November 29th. So, um, what's your favorite James Taylor story or experience? Is what we're gonna I thought ask. We were people. gonna
2: do a sob story
1: or a sob story, yeah, no, something no. like that. Not now, but we're gonna do it later in our show today because tickets don't go on sale till Friday and you can get your tickets first here,
2: yeah. Now, okay, so Charlie Watts, drummer, bedrock drummer, the engine room of the Rolling Stones, died at the age of 80. Holly posted, um. A throwback photo of of Charlie Watts. He made the best dress list. He's a very dapper guy. So she posted that. She also posted the top 10 Charlie Watts Rolling Stone songs um, from different albums. So that's just kind of a fun list. Yes. And uh, he, I mean, I just, I guess, even though like in early August when the Stone said Charlie Watts wouldn't be going on tour because right. he had surgery. And he wouldn't be able to tour. But they said he was recovering and he was doing fine. Yeah, but he died at a London hospital today. And he he did have throat cancer in 2016. So maybe it was complications from that. But he was at the hospital uh, with his family. And he has an interesting story. um, Just his whole life. So this is from the New York Times. Okay. they do the best of which obituaries well, they, they do. have the best stories i'm so do you glad. think this one was prepared ahead of time Larry? yes Julia. i know that's i the don't thing. know what age they start preparing legends uh thing do you know grant have you ever heard no like I... if you get to 70 is right. that the age i don't know but um so you know in the band for over 50 years he was 80 years old and um he was reserved, dignified, and dapper. He was never flamboyant on stage or off as most right. of his rock star peers, let alone like Mick Jagger or Keith, but he was one of the finest rock drummers of his generation. Keith Richards said in his 2010 autobiography, Life Charlie Watts has always been the bed that I lie on musically.
1: And he. And Which he, is
2: just like so.
1: That's so poetic. It boy. is. And, and he also kind of talked about how. He always faced him.
2: Yeah, Keith was always looking at him. Because like, that's the beat. Give me that's, the beat. Yeah, give me the beat. And um, um, Bruce Springsteen wrote in an introduction to the 91 edition of his drummer, uh, Max Weinberg's book, The Big Beat. Okay, As much as Mick's voice and Keith's guitar, Charlie Watts' snare sound is the Rolling Stone. When Mick sings, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Charlie's in back showing you why and his first instrument was a banjo. So he was born in 1941, okay. and it, somewhere in England. Yeah, he was born. Wimbly, um, I he think. was born in London. Oh, okay. And his first instrument was a banjo, but he couldn't figure out all the fingerings to play it. So he removed the neck, and converted its body into a snare drum. He discovered jazz when he was twelve. Got a drum kit and soon became a fan of Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, Charles Mingus. Charlie Parker? Yeah, Charlie Parker. And the newly formed Rolling Stones, then called uh, the Rolling Stones, knew they needed a good drummer. But they couldn't afford Miss Charlie Watts because he played in all these little jazz ensembles. okay. And Keith Richards, again, in his book Life writes, we starved ourselves to pay for him. Literally, we went shoplifting to get Charlie Watts. In 1963, early 63, when they could guarantee him five pounds a week, which is what he was playing in these little jazz, he joined the band. And uh, he moved in with Keith and Mick and just started listening to Chicago blues records. Okay. So you could kind of get their the whole sound. thing was
1: rhythm and blues. But. Yeah.
2: And, uh, I mean, he, Relentless, if you listen to Paint It Black, you know, the drumming on that, Ruby Tuesday, Honky Tonk Woman. I mean, there's so many songs. And he was very ambivalent about the fame that he achieved as a member of the group, because it is the world's greatest rock and roll band. He said in the mm-hmm. 2003 book, According to the Rolling Stones, I loved playing with Keith. And the band, I still do, but I wasn't interested in being a pop idol sitting there with girls screaming. It's not the world I come from. It's not what I wanted to be. And I still think it's silly. And as you know, and he married his wife in 1964. Right. So and they, just have one a year, daughter, they right. had one daughter. one daughter. Right. And on tour, They stay he,
1: married the whole way through. Yep,
2: yep. On tour, he would go back to his hotel room alone. And every night he sketched his lodgings. He told Rolling Stone magazine, I've drawn every bed I've slept in on tour since 1967. Okay. I did not know that. It's a fantastic non book. Um, and of the bedrooms of, Oh, that's funny. I didn't it? know that. And uh, he told the weekend Australian about the many fights between Keith and Mick. He said, uh, I stay out of, you know, I stay out of that. I'm usually mumbling in the background. And, There was one time, however, when Charlie Watts was not happy about being treated like a hired hand. Um, And I got to get this story because it comes to us from Keith Richards also. So he writes in his book that Charlie Watts or that Mick Jagger had started suffering from... LVS, which is lead vocalist syndrome. Okay. That's and then his ego. Was becoming too big for his own good. So the year is 1984. Mm-hmm. The Stones are in Amsterdam. They'd been out drinking until the wee hours of the morning. Right. And um, they just, anyway, they, they were really pissed. Keith was really pissed because um, Mick Jagger piggybacked on a Rolling Stones multi-year, multi-million dollar record to get his own solo thing. So Keith was mad mad at him and they'd gotten back to the hotel at five in the morning and Mick decided to call Charlie's room to get him to come to the room and like talk about this. Right, And and he's like, where's my drummer were the words that my drummer. That's what, as Keith yeah. called him, Brenda Jagger, as he would call him Brenda, mm-hmm. uh, had uttered into the phone. And a few moments later, there's a knock on the door, as Richard describes in his book, Life. Charlie Watts, Savile Row suit, Saville row suit, perfectly dressed, tie-shaved, the whole bleeping bit. I could smell the cologne. I opened the door. He didn't even look at me. He walked straight past me, got a hold of Mick, said, never call me your drummer again. Then he hauled him up by the lapels of my jacket and gave him a right hook, Mick fell back into a silver platter stop. of smoked salmon on the table and began to slide towards the open window in the canal below it. Jagger almost fell out the window, but Keith caught him in time. And later on, Watts wanted to know why Richards had to stop Jagger from sliding into the canal. And Keith said, <laughs> my jacket, Charlie, that's okay. why. my jacket. So, That's a good story. It is a good story. We are, we've we got something, um, Paul McCartney, you know, did a little something on Twitter. The Rolling Stones, there's just a picture if you go to rollingstones.com of Charlie Watts. And just the band itself released a statement. I'm sure those guys are gutted. I'm sure. So we'll go back. We've got a couple more yeah. know, things to yeah, say but... about Charlie Watts. Right. And when we come back, but yeah, we've got that, a an book an amazing book. It's called Chasing, Chasing the, the Boogeyman." So true crime uh, and thriller people, this is a book for you. We are delighted to have another edition of the low j book club richard chismar is joining us he's new york times best-selling author his latest book chasing the boogeyman a novel holy crap richard so good
3: <laughs> hey how are you
2: good how are you i'm
3: good thank you i'm glad you enjoyed it Oh, oh my gosh. Oh
2: my gosh. All right. So you co authored a book with Stephen King called Gwendy's Button Box. I think there were two books, right?
3: There were two so far, and the third one actually, Gwendy's Final Task, is uh coming out in February of next year. And that Steve and I wrote that one together also.
2: And how did you like are you, how did you and Stephen King become writing compadres?
3: I, I started a little magazine called Cemetery Dance way back in 1988 when I was in college. And, um, it was horror, suspense, that kind of thing. And, and right from the very beginning, I always sent copies up to, up to Stephen King's office in Bangor because he was, you know, the reason I was doing this stuff. Right. And, um, over the years, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to publish some stories of his and then some limited edition books of his. And at some point, the business you know, relationship became a friendship. And uh, and then, yeah, one day we were just talking about stories and collaborations. And he mentioned to me that he had a, a story called Gwendy's Button Box that he couldn't finish. And he sent it to me the next morning. And uh, that's how it happened. I mean, it's complete, complete shock. And, and I, I would say dream come true, but I, I never dreamed that big before. Yeah, oh, no that, kidding. That's amazing. So Chasing the Boogeyman,
2: is this your first novel?
3: It's technically my first novel. Uh-huh. I wrote the second Gwendy book by myself. Because you did. He was on a deadline and work, working on something else, and it, and it, they 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 coined it as a novel, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it's technically it's a little short. It's a long novella. So this is my first full length, you know, novel in my fifties. And uh, you know, I, I tell people that with Gwendy, I kind of became a an overnight, uh, you know, um, bestseller at. at you know, after being in the business for almost 30 years. And now here I am in my 50s and I've got my first novel on the shelves.
2: And I, I, we agree with uh, Stephen King uh, that is compulsive reading and scary. So give people the setup of Chasing the Boogeyman.
3: Um, chasing the Boogeyman takes, t- it, it takes you back to my hometown of Edgewood, Maryland, uh, back in the summer of 1988. And uh, at the time I was, I, I, I just graduated from college and I moved back Edgewood into the the house I grew up in with my parents uh I was engaged and and my fiance my fiance and I decided we'd save some money and I'd live at home until the wedding 9 months down the road and uh yeah some bad stuff was happening in in, in the town um and I was there to witness it and chasing the boogeyman is just it, it's just kind of you know as true as it can get until you get to the murders and then and then I'm a little uh Uh, inventive, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's about an innocent time and an innocent place that, uh, you know, bad things have invaded.
2: And, and I mean, it is a blend of fiction, Fiction, true crime and memoir. I mean, when I got to the end of the book, I mean, you blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Blew my mind. (laughs) Um, will you tell me because I really thought everything that I was reading I mean, I yep. didn't really know what I was reading, we but I kept turning the pages. And then you've got photographs and other media in the book that was just really adding to the whole layer of mystery. Why'd
3: you do that? Uh, I really wanted to blur Witch, you know, the, the audience. I mm-hmm. wanted to play it as real from start to finish. And that was something my 22-year-old son very early on was like, Dad, you're going to get sued. You can't do this. You know, you're going to drive the property values in Edgewood down because they're going to think right. that the serial killer preyed on the town. And and I just blew that off. I'm like, Billy, you know, we don't even know if anyone's going to read this thing. You know, we'll see. And when I sold it to Simon & Schuster, a wonderful editor named Ed Schlesinger, he very quickly introduced me to the legal department at, at Simon <laughs> Schuster. And they they pretty much said, yeah, Rich, we're not going to do that Um but the reason for the photographs, I wanted to add authenticity. And, and I, I I love that the book jacket doesn't advertise them because the reader just, you know, flips the pages and all of a sudden there are pictures of the people they just read about and the places they just read about. So it immediately, or, you know, hopefully it immediately adds a layer of, oh, wow, is this real? Or did, wait a minute. what What's happening? And then like you said, it's if the story's good enough, you'll keep flipping pages and then you keep seeing pictures. And at some point I've had a lot of readers say they Googled, you know, names and incidents and and because they were convinced. We're, we were, we're shocked.
1: Um, I don't want to give away too much, but the book is chasing the boogeyman. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Richard Chasmar and um, Richard, what did it? Okay. So you said, this is really your first novel as a 50 year old um, man. And, what do you, what did you think when you were done with the book? Did you know you had a hit?
3: No, no. I, what's funny is I didn't even tell my agent um, this was not the book that I had agreed I would write next. Okay. Um, and but when I, when the idea came, I was like, "Oh boy, I, I want to do this." So I just sat down and I and I wrote it, and it came very quickly. I wrote the first draft in in maybe three months. Um, it, it, it all just kind of poured out, and I like to tell people just. I felt like I was just uncovering the story. It was there already, you know, fully formed. Um, and, uh, and it was, wasn't until I was finished that I sent it to her. And I, I still remember saying, you know, this is what it is. It's, there's photographs. It's a true crime format. But I'm the main character and I'm a very much a behind the scenes guy. I, I don't get out much. I don't go to a lot of conventions or book conferences. So to for me to kind of put myself in the spotlight was a really odd decision and she agreed and, and definitely was wary going in. Um fortunately she read it and came back and her exact words, she said, Rich, you won me over. Don't change a thing, you know, we'll you know, we'll we'll edit it down the line, but no, we got, she asked, what if we you I know, mean, what if someone makes an offer but they don't want you to be the main character? And I right. said, Well, depends on the offer. Um so yeah, it, it it was a very different book but it was the way the story needed to be told in my eyes and once I started writing and I realized that I couldn't fake it, you know, mm-hmm. this this nameless narrator or give him a name, it it was me and I mm-hmm. wasn't even going to try to fake it. I was just going to write about myself. And I like that. Oh too. My gosh, I like I that too. part
2: of it because uh you're writing about your boyhood what experiences. It, it reminded, I guess, Julia and I, because uh, we would have grown up like in the same time, yes. 60s, 70s. You know, it was a completely different time. It really was. There was a, a freedom yeah. there that uh, kids that, that grew that up left. in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s really had. And I guess even into the 80s. Mm-hmm. But um, why do you yeah, think... the beginning of the 80s. Yeah, why do you think Richard... Um, why are we so fascinated with serial
3: killer, <laughs> killer stories? I think, you know, people ask me, someone just asked me recently, they said, what's your favorite, you know, what is your favorite uh, monster? And I said, well, I don't have any favorite monsters because I'm a big scaredy cat. I said, but my favorite one to write about is the human monster. Mm-hmm. And because to me, they're the most terrifying because they, they can be anywhere. Right. You know, and I at a very early age, I, I, I carried that with me, the fact that, you know, I grew up in this, you know, working class town named Edgewood. Um, everyone on the surface seemed pretty darn friendly. But, uh, you know. I was aware really early on that that people wear masks and they don't let you see the real, you know, them, what's underneath. And, you know, once I started reading about serial killers and learning about them, they, that was the most terrifying monster to me because they could be anywhere. They could be behind, you know, be behind your next door neighbor's front door and closed window, you know, closed curtains. And uh so to me, there was nothing scarier to, to bring into my hometown than than a human monster.
1: Well, we would agree. Lori, you were so obsessed with serial killers growing up, too. Lori, well, you were.
2: No, I think, I think for me, the thing the, where I really got turned on to true crime is I read Helter Skelter. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. that was just a fa- it read like fiction, right. but it was true. And I think that's when mm-hmm. I, I kind of got hooked.
1: Do you see this? Um, if you're just joining us for talking with Richard, um, Ch- is Schismar? Schismar? Chismar. Chismar, yeah. Chismar. Chasing the Boogeyman Chismar. is the book. Chismar. Um, do you see this being like a limited series or something, Richard? Do you see how that could play out?
3: Um, I would love to see that happen. I mean, there's definitely some interest in it. And, and now that we're into the you know first week of publication and, and the reviews have been you know really positive and the sales have been strong, um, there's been even more interest. So I hope so. I mean, I think... You know, a, a movie producer who was interested described it as the wonder years meet songs of the lands. And I thought that, you know what, yeah. it's a really good description because it's it's uh, it uh it, 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 in reality, it's just this campfire story. It's really an old fashioned campfire story told in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone can kind of relate to it because of that. You know, it's one of those traditional, uh you know, Stephen King just called it a creep fest in a tweet the other day, which I was very grateful for. And I thought, you know what? It's a good word. It's a precess Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, congratulations to you. We're delighted. We have to ask you, what is the last great book that you read? Uh, oh, the
3: last great book that I read. I just read um and uh, it's not out yet. It's a it's a book by a writer named Christopher Golden and uh it's called Road of Bones and I think it's coming out. It's definitely coming out this fall. But, good. Uh it's it's set it's set in like Siberia or something and it's it's set uh, you know on a a, a true basis on this road that was built on the bones of the of of the people, the prisoners who built it, and it's ah. it's it's scary as hell.
2: Oh, so Lori that's would love that. That's good. All right, R- Richard, are you because you know you uh, with the success of Gwendy's Button Box and then the next book and now with Chasing the Boge- Boogeyman? Do you have a lot of other authors who send you a a book to read and then they want you to blurb it?
3: Yes. Yeah. That's that's. uh that's one of the cool things. I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, 30-something years as far as being in the publishing, mm-hmm. you know, business. And I've always thought the neatest thing is to get, you know, to get arcs, to get advanced reading copies, or even manuscripts from other authors ahead of time. I uh, To me, that's still the... One of the biggest bonuses, and I'm a big book nerd, so to, to get uh, an advanced copy of something, and then to have them ask you, you know, hey, if you like it, will you send me a blurb or an endorsement? That, that's even cooler. So, yeah. yeah, I'm easy to please, but that that still makes my day.
2: Well, what a treat meeting you you. You've made, made our, day. You've made our you. day of being sad about Charlie Watts uh, just a little bit better. No.
3: no. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm glad you both liked it, and uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my town Edgewood and it kind of feels neat that I've introduced it to a bigger audience. Yeah, yes. it's very cool We're, we're going to follow
2: you on Twitter, Richard Chismar. Also, you've got a Facebook page. We've got a couple copies of the book to give away, so thank you Richard for thank that. You. And thanks for being with us.
3: Oh, thank you both so much. Have a great day. You too. Right,
2: fingers crossed for that limited no series. 6516411071
1: yeah. if you'd like your chance to win uh, one of the books Chasing the Boogeyman is the book. It's a page turner. We'll be right back.
2: I can't get no satisfaction. Of course, most famous guitar riff, but it's good steady drumming by Charlie Watson, that song. And he leads the charge into the hey, hey, that's what I say line. Yes, he does.
1: Look, at We're going to get Charlie Watson facts and talk about him all oh, day. Oh, Julia, the greatest. The Rolling Stones <laughs> that passed away today. But first... Jenna and Stillwater and Brian of Minneapolis, congratulations. Mm-hmm. I'm filling out your labels right now in your little handwritten note. Um, so there are winners today of the Lori and Julia Book Club. That
2: book. Jason the Boogeyman. What is real? What isn't real? And when and you-, you get to the end, oh, wow. Yep. Okay, yep. so um, uh, good morning, America. We'll just keep it on the music thing here. I was glad. I was like, finally, someone did a story on Olivia Rodrigo, who, as far as I'm concerned, Has been the artist of the the year. So here we have a little audio from GMA.
0: This morning, it's good to be Olivia Rodrigo. The pop star's "Good for You" sitting at the top of Spotify's most streamed songs of the summer list, along with seven of her other songs, <laughs> like the popular "Deja Vu" and her breakout single "Driver's License." Breakup song, the break of breakup 2020. ballad, even getting the star treatment on Saturday Night Live. Rodrigo's latest music video, "Brutal," released Monday, and already has four million views. Some say her unique sound is part of the appeal.
2: So I, I actually think the most powerful thing Olivia does um,
3: is, is reveal exactly how she's feeling in the tone of her voice in a way that makes us imagine how we'd sound if we were pouring our hearts out about
0: the 18-year-old's Except meteoric rise sing. to fame began on the Disney Channel show Vark, and most recently on Disney Plus's high school musical, The Musical, The Series, where she plays <laughs> Nene. The star so big, this year the president even invited her to the White House to encourage young people to get vaccinated. Now she's burning up the charts, her pop-punk hits making up nearly half of Spotify's summer streaming list. Critics pointing to the storytelling in her songs as part of her appeal.
2: She's an excellent songwriter and does a beautiful job taking these private, personal moments um, and and putting them into lyrics that feel very universal. There she is. There she is, Olivia Rodrigo. I, I did not realize that she had eight songs I, in the stream songs of the summer list. I
1: saw the list and I'm like, wow. She, so she's... maybe this
2: is just the summer of Olivia Rodrigo's and with the side of BTS. I like it. Mm hmm. I like never, it. Yeah,
1: no, she because we've been searching for our song in, song in the summer. summer. For
2: me, it's like butter and good for you, and even levitating because I've I heard still that like so levitating.
1: I still like peaches. Yeah, I still like yeah, some yeah. of the other songs, but boy, she is a hit, and she's so young.
2: Yeah, Just she really so is kind of unbelievable. And I, boy, did I have music FOMO last night.
1: We're watching, yeah.
2: I thought, okay, I'm going to follow Ross Rayla. I mean, I follow him anyway, yeah. and Chris Riemenschneider, but Ross Rayla from the Pioneer Press is really, really, really great about live tweeting from concerts. Right. And we haven't had any concerts in so long. <laughs> and so, I mean, if I can't go to a concert, right? I like to look. And if I know Ross is there, he is tweets. And Chris Schneider. Who didn't used to tweet that much, but last night he He was was giving us videos and little sound bites. So I was going back and forth because I was mindlessly watching Green Day, Weezer, Follow Follow Boys.
1: We're all at that looked like fun. In the heat, it
2: would look Uh, like fun. And it was practically, it was basically sold out. It was absolutely, absolutely packed, and so it was fun. Uh, following Raymond Schneider and Ross. I felt like I was at the concert in a way because they were giving us, you know, play-by-play or video snippets. But uh, here's what... uh, So I guess right before Green Day came out... um, They were the headliner. Yeah, of course. Well, the last band, Julia. There's no doubt. Green Day. That is. We don't need any concert explaining right now.
1: Well, I'm doing it for the people like me out there.
2: Oh, Julia. Oh, you You know, Green Day's the headline. Anyway, so they were playing Bohemian Rhapsody, and the crowd was just singing along because everybody knows that song. And so they opened with uh, Green Day. Opened with American Idiot. Holiday. And know your enemy and Riemann Shadow writes there probably hasn't been a concert in Minnesota in five years with the more electrifying opening 12 minutes. It's a great. Yeah. A great endorsement. Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, Ross had a great review and people were just absolutely loving it. I guess this opening band was a ska punk band called The Interrupters. Um and then Weezer came out, and, you know, that guy, the lead singer of that, you know, he had a mullet. He looked like right, he was out of an 80s aerobic video. Yes, I love it. And um, they managed to, like, I guess they sang for, you know, an hour, Buddy Holly, and even their cover of Toto's Africa.
1: Well, see, that's the one I would just shut my ears.
2: And I guess they sang it kind of soft, like they're sick yeah. of it. Oh, and then follow Boy Why White would was, you even
1: sample that song? We were so sick of it yeah, before it even got sampled. That's right. We and love then,
2: Follow-Up Boy. He's so good. And oh. and then uh, I guess they all delivered. And then Green Day was just on fire. And Billy Armstrong was giving shouts out to... Shout out how much Isn't he loves. is this his
1: wife from here?
2: Yes, he married a girl from yes. here, and like yeah,
1: it that was- seems. I had a little fomo this morning reading the
2: reviews. That looked like <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of fun, Lorene. Oh, it just looked and is having it- seen Green Day a couple of times, they're just powerful in concert. I I guess I didn't. This was a concert for, rescheduled from twenty twenty. This okay. was supposed to happen last August. Okay. And then I kind of forgot, and I didn't really... I mean, I did look yesterday. There were tickets. There few were t- tickets
1: available, if you want here to stand right in front for 200 bucks. Yeah. hmm
2: I, I didn't think Casey you're, would go... You're on I'm,
1: bed rest right now. I, no, you're I, on bed rest for the state fair. Yeah, Laurie. I know.
2: And I knew Casey wouldn't want to be in the mosh pit or no. in a standing room thing with the... Uh, Delta variant surging Mm -hmm. No, Um, because we did do that for one Green Day concert about 10, 12 years ago at Excel. Yes. We jumped over the fence, if you will, to get down on the floor when a security guard wasn't looking and worked our way all the way to the front. And just got bashed and mashed around. It was an absolute but I think it was the American Idiot Tour.
1: You guys like to do that. Oh, I God. got caught. I'm I Casey. famously got caught trying to get a little closer at Rod Stewart and shamed. <laughs> Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart and
2: shamed. And I thought, I'm not doing that. I'm fine in my seats. I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. All right, listen, I know we got to get going here, but we do have our James Taylor tickets that we're giving away. We're looking for sob stories probably in the 5 o'clock hour to his concert November 29th, and when we come back on the other side, Grant has just let us know that his dad was at the concert yes. in Excelsior, Minnesota, when the Rolling Stones played at the, whatever that little...
0: It was at the amu- the old Excelsior amusement, amusement, amusement Park. park yep.
2: Yeah, we're so gonna we're going yeah. to have that story when we come back.